Well, hello, Heritage. Welcome to everyone across our network as we step into week two of Relatable. It's a conversation that we're having, looking at the relationships in our lives through the grid, through the lens of a teaching from Jesus called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are really just a word that means a series of blessings, lots and lots of blessings. So it kind of prompts us to ask, what would it look like for you and for me to experience God's great blessing and favor in all of the relationships of our lives? What would it look like as we live at home and at work, at school, where we hang out, for all of those relationships that are a part of the fabric of our lives to be blessed by and found in the favor of God. It could change everything for us. My name's Jeremiah. I get to be one of our teaching pastors here. And many of you know, I grew up in the desert southwest on a little dry patch of earth in southeastern Arizona, just a few miles north of the Mexican border. One of my earliest memories growing up there is actually uh, one from when I think I was about four years old. I remember waking up to the distinct smell of burning desert around me. And, uh, and so I got out of bed, got onto our porch that was just adjacent to the single wide trailer we were living in at the time. And I saw uh, off in the distance, but not very far, certainly on our own property, uh, uh, some flames taking, uh, taking flight. There was a fire on the grounds. And what you need to know about the desert is it's very dry. And dry things burn quickly and well. And this fire began to spread with something of a vengeance. And I, I saw it as it quickly approached a, a line of trees we had planted as a windbreak and the flames began to lick up the sides of some of those trees and I knew at four years old standing on the porch that it was time for me to man up so I did I ran inside and I found the toy firefighter helmet that I had received earlier, put that puppy right on, and what someone had decided to torture my parents with either a birthday or a Christmas gift that was a, a steering wheel kind of dashboard for a fire truck complete with flashing light and siren and a blue rubber hose with a nozzle attached to it. So I ran inside, grabbed the hat, grabbed the fire truck thing, went, ran back out to the porch, sat down, and I began to fight back the flames with the power power of my imagination. You could not have convinced me that I wasn't doing anything. I was absolutely sold out to the idea that I was making a difference. More than that, somebody was going to write a news story about heroic four-year-old Jeremiah coming to save the day with his plastic fire truck steering wheel and pretend fireman's helmet. It was going to make all the difference in the world. But you and I both know that I wasn't making any difference at all except maybe to increase the morale of the people around me, right? I wasn't making any difference at all. Thankfully, one of the adults had thought to call emergency services, but it took a little while for the fire department to come because we were living in a really rural area, so it took a few minutes for them to get there. Once they got there, we kind of breathed a sigh of relief as the brush truck went out toward the fire and began to extinguish the flames. But that relief was short-lived because it only lasted a few minutes before the aged and decrepit brush truck broke down and itself started to be surrounded by the flames of this fire. Things went from bad to worse. 
I remember uh, a relative over here, I'm pretty sure it was my grandma, picking up a shovel and beating back flames with a shovel. Another person grabbed a heavy rug and began to beat flames back with a rug. A couple others over here, well, they started to dig a fire line, uh, a line that would remove some of the flame of the fire to keep it from approaching our buildings and our livestock and our homes. And the rest of us, myself included, got in on the adventure of filling these great big metal trash cans full of water and placing them on the back of my grandpa's old blue half-ton pickup truck. And then delivering those big buckets of water, dumping them out, uh, trash can full by trash can full, trying, desperate, to extinguish the flames. Everything was on the line. Everything. We could lose everything. With a shift of the wind and a lack of help, everything was on the line. Now I'm going to get back to the rest of that story. I know some of you are asking, did he survive? You know, so we'll get back to that. But I think that's a really good picture for how many of us interact with the things in life and especially our relationships. When the fires of life come and they come. We want to know if what we've built will last. We want to know if what we dream of can become a reality. And we want to know when the fires of life come, especially in the places of our relationship, are we going to make it? But more than that, how do we not just make it through the fires of life, but thrive in the life around us? Each of us asks that question in one way or another. And the reality is there are those of us who are fighting back the fires of life with our imagination. We're pretending to help, but we're not really contributing except maybe to build some morale. There are others of us who we're digging deep and we're fighting with everything we have, but it feels like we just don't have the right tools or wherewithal to make a significant difference. And there are those of us who we even call in professionals to help from time to time and still it feels like things can break down. And so we ask the question, how can we experience life and relationship that lasts, that withstands, that thrives, when it seems as though from time to time everything is against us as we try to do that? Well, you know, Jesus actually talked about relationship more than almost anything else. He talked about our relationship with God, connecting with God and with each other and with our purpose. It's a thread throughout his teaching. And that's a passion of us as heritage to create spaces where we can connect with God and each other and our purpose. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today. I'll invite you to turn there. You can get there on your device, follow along using your sermon note guide. The scriptures are going to be up here on the platform with me as well. Before we get into Matthew chapter 5, by way of, of just a quick review, Jesus, leading up to this moment, has been healing vast crowds of people. One by one, touching people and helping them to experience healing and wholeness. And news about what Jesus is doing is spreading, so the crowds get bigger and bigger and bigger. And when the crowd reaches critical mass, Jesus sits down and begins to teach. And the first things that he utters out of this, these teaching moments are these series of blessings called the Beatitudes. Jesus has kind of proclaimed that he is bringing a new kingdom a new kind of kingdom that will require a new kind of thinking and living in order to experience it. He's demonstrated in practical ways and in teaching that Jesus didn't just come to make things or people better, but to make everything new. 
And so it's in that context as he continues to proclaim blessing after blessing over his hearers. And in Matthew 5, verse 8, we bump into this one where he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What a cool blessing. Jesus is saying if you're pure in heart, you will see God, not just in heaven after you die, but here and now. These people who are listening to him and to us as well, we can, we can see and encounter God in a very real way. In our relationships, in our day-to-day -day living, we can see and encounter God. The prerequisite for that is being pure in heart. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? I think as soon as we hear that, we have a bunch of different definitions some of us come to mind. We start to think of what that means, or we kind of, I know what that means, so, you know, we're, we're good. But just like the hearers in Jesus' day, we have, we have multiple definitions. We have multiple things that come to mind for what it looks like to be pure in heart, keeping in mind that we use the term heart as, as kind of an emotional place. But for the hearers in Jesus' day, the heart was the space where your identity rested. It was kind of what defined life and everything around you. And so I think it's helpful to, to think through how those first hearers would have heard the term that Jesus uses as pure. Yes, they would have heard pure, but they also would have heard blessed are the clean in heart. Well, what does that mean? Right? That's super helpful. Thank you very much. Okay, so what about this, they would have heard, blessed are the holy in heart, for they will see God. This idea of holiness is one that is com something completely set apart for the things of God, dedicated to him and him alone. That kind of makes a little bit of sense, but I also think they would have heard and understood this nuance. For us, it's that he was as though he was saying, blessed are the undivided in heart, for they will see God. You see, a divided heart is an impure heart. A divided heart is one that is chasing multiple priorities. Symptoms of a divided heart is a heart that gives itself away time and time again to other things and other people seeking purpose and identity and hope. A divided heart will lead us to a place where on the one hand, on one day, we are completely sold out to the things of God and finding a greater purpose. And in the next moment, we find ourselves desiring and pursuing something so far away from what he would design and desire. That's what a divided heart can look like. A divided heart is one that causes us to experience warring desires. Divided hearts rise and fall based on the opinions of others. Divided hearts are never whole, but they long to be. You see, a divided heart makes decisions based on what it thinks will make it whole. And it brings us to an important truth for us to look at today. This is another one of those kind of key concepts that will inform how we read the verse we just looked at, but also the rest of our conversation and even the rest of our journey through this series. This is one of those key truths that's true whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. It's just part of our condition. It's part of who we are. It's one that if we embrace it and live into it, it moves us closer and closer to God's very best for us. If we fail to do so or we ignore it, we end up moving further and further away from what he's intended for us all along. So it's this. It's the next fill-in in your outline if you're following along. It's that we are incomplete without relationship. 
Now, I want to pause there for a second. We know this. We get the first part of this statement. We are incomplete without relationship. There's something seated deep within us that desires connection and communion with other people. We know we are made for healthy relationship with others. We get that we are incomplete without relationship. We yearn to be made, to be made in a connected space. We long to find someone who gets us. We know that we're incomplete without relationship. We know it because even still for some of us, we get to that lonely place that is so alone it hurts. And it hurts in a way that's hard to describe. We know this. We get this. We are incomplete without relationship. In fact, God, is, as soon as he finishes creation and, and creates humanity, he observes man and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. We are incomplete without relationship. One of the wisest men who ever lived, a man named Solomon, was one day out observing the world around him. And he saw a very wealthy man off in the distance working and toiling. And he realized that that man was alone and he had no one to share the profits and fruit of his labor with. And this is how Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 processed that observation. He said, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You see, there's this strong sense that we are incomplete without relationship. We get this. But here's the twist. We're incomplete without relationship, but relationships will never make us whole. We're incomplete without relationship. We're made for it. But relationships will never make us whole. We have to understand this and get this and live it out. Because you see, when we have a divided heart, our divided heart will convince us that someone else can make us whole. And so we begin to pursue relationship after relationship after relationship, hoping that that other person, it could be our boyfriend or our girlfriend, it could be our spouse or our parents or our kids, and we're looking for them to somehow fill that void spot in our lives, that space where we recognize we're not quite whole. It's why so many of us get to a place in a healthy and good relationship where all of a sudden we find ourselves disillusioned, not just with the other person, but with the relationship itself, as though it's not delivering for us what we expected it to deliver all along. And it's because of this truth. We are incomplete without relationship, but relationships will never make us whole. And still, though, so many of us, we chase them and we chase them and we chase them. And we put impossible expectations on those around us to try and bring us to a place where we feel complete. You know, one of the challenges with this is that Jesus actually desires us to know this. He actually created a way for us to be made whole. In fact, another follower of his in the New Testament, a man named Paul, said this. He's talking to followers of Jesus. And he says, so you also are complete 
through your union with Christ. Complete, you're made whole through your union with Jesus Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. It's as though he's saying Jesus is the only one worthy to be in charge of anything, and he's the only one who can make you whole. He's the only one who can do it. So here's the problem for us when we start looking to other people to make us whole. The moment we do that, we fall into the sin of idolatry because we are expecting a created person to do what only creator God is capable of doing. He is the only one. Jesus is the only one who can make us whole. He's the only one worthy of being in charge of our lives. He's the only one. But what I, I love about Jesus is that he doesn't have to be convinced to bring us into that space of wholeness. That place where we are yearning to be made whole. That space where we are driven to try to find someone or something that will make us whole. Jesus sees it, he knows it, and he desires to step into it. That place where you are looking to know what it is to be made whole, to fill the void, and relationship after relationship has left you disillusioned, and so now you're chasing activity or addiction or something that moves you again further and further away from what you know and sense is God's very best for you. God's not okay with that. You see, Jesus came to bring this peace of God that brings wholeness and completion. It's what that new kingdom that he's talking about is all about. It's a peace that comes and brings us to wholeness and leads us into flourishing. He's the only one worthy of our heart. He's the only one worthy to lead us. But hear this, he does not have to be convinced to make you whole. You see, so many of us, we try to live in a way where we can prove ourselves worthy of God's love and grace. We try to convince God that we're ready to be made whole. Maybe if I treat this other person well, maybe if I experience this thing differently, maybe if I force myself a little bit more into being who I think I should be, then, then I can convince God to do what I need him to do. But you see, Jesus wants to do this. We don't have to convince him to do it. Jesus, the son of God and son of man, left the glory and splendor of heaven, walked on the earth, lived a perfect life, died our death, rose from the grave three days later in power and authority and intercedes for us even now. That is how much he wants to see you and me and this world living into what he created it for all along. His whole mission was to bring heaven and earth to intersection once again the way it was always meant to be. He doesn't have to be convinced. We simply need to receive what he offers. If there's a prayer in your note guide that can help you step into that, if you do that today, connect with one of us. We want to help you process what it means for you to connect with Jesus in a way where he is the one who leads you and he is the one who guides you. He's the only one worthy of it. But what this all means is that we need to find our identity in Jesus first. In fact, here's, here's another truth for us. It's that we connect with our purpose when we embrace our identity in Jesus. We connect with our purpose when we embrace our identity in Jesus. When we know who we are, 
then we live out what we are meant to be. When we know who we are in Jesus, that he is the one who makes us whole, that he is the one who brings us into that pure heart, undivided for the things of him. When we understand who he is calling us to be, when we, can, when we embrace our identity in him, that is when we are positioned to connect with our purpose as never before. And so many of us, we make the mistake of thinking that our purpose and our profession must be the same thing. But that's not necessarily the case. You see, because our purpose in Jesus comes not out of what we do, but who we are in him. Jesus actually said it this way later on in Matthew chapter 5. Again, speaking to the crowds around him. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus, in teaching his first hearers here, asks a really silly question. It's, it's just a silly question when he asks them, what good is salt that loses its saltiness? And later on, he, he says another ridiculous thing like, nobody lights a lamp and then puts a big bowl over it, okay? It's, it's just as silly to ask what happens to salt that loses its saltiness as it is to light a fire lamp and put a bowl over it to extinguish it. We don't, we don't do that. See, what he's getting at, I believe, is actually a question of our identity, you see, salt that loses its saltiness was never salt to begin with. Salt can't be unsaltified. Salt is salty. It's just, it's what it is. You don't have to convince salt to be salty. Salt doesn't have to look at the agenda of things and go, okay, how am I going to be salt today? Right? It just is. Now, some of us, when we're reading this scripture, even today, your mind started going to all the things that it looks like for you to go do the stuff of salt and light. Stop it. It's not a list of activities that's supposed to drive your agenda. It's a question of your identity and who Jesus is. In the same way that a lamp that is lit simply just automatically gives light wherever it shines and drives out the darkness. So salt, in Jesus' day, was used as, as something that brought out the best flavor in foods, just like in ours, right? Salt is a flavor enhancer. It makes the food taste just a little bit better. It brings out the notes of the food. Salt also, in Jesus' day and in ours, serves as a great preservative. It keeps whatever it's touching, whatever it's coming in contact with, from, from getting spoiled, and so there's this very real sense as Jesus is speaking to his first followers and to us that when we understand our identity in Jesus by simply being his, then the stuff we come in contact with, the stuff of life has a better flavor. By simply being his, we are drawn into the dark spaces to offer his light and his hope by simply being his. The places where we rub up against the stuff of the world where we keep the world from getting spoiled. But the problem is, the problem is, 
So many of us, unaware of our identity or what he's calling us to be and to do, we live according to the systems and structures of the world around us. And instead of keeping the world around us from experiencing what it is to be spoiled, and instead of enhancing the flavor of the world around us, we participate in moving the world around us further away from God's very best. But when we embrace our identity, that's not even an option. You see, the order of the world around us would say that we do find our identity in other people. That we have casual relationship after casual relationship until we find one that clicks. And there we find wholeness. Until that one's used up too. And then we move on for something else. The world around us uses a consumer mentality in all of its relationships. But you see, salt shouldn't and doesn't do that. Salt finds its identity and lives according to a different pattern in a different way. You see, the order of the world around us, the order of the world around us, parents, tells you that your great purpose in life is to position your kids to get into the best school so they can have the best life possible. And if you're doing your job, then you're going to work really hard to get them the right scholarships, to get them into the right school. You're going to save enough money. You're going to take out the right loans to position them to do that. But then what do you do once you send your kids to school? What's your purpose now? But that's the order of the world. And parents, you are living under great pressure. But what if, what if, as the salt of the earth and the light of the world, you said, no, no, my purpose as a follower of Jesus, as one transformed by him, is to lead my children in the way that they should go. Is to position them to be passionate pursuers of Jesus. And there they will find their connection with him and others and purpose. It's a higher calling. It's a mightier calling. One that only Jesus can help you to fulfill. You see the difference between living as salt and not, living as light, and not, but it's not something we have to try to do, it's who we are. I love that we're part of a church that is passionate about creating spaces for everyone, regardless of age, to find their purpose and know their identity. Across our network, we invest in finding a way for us to live life together across generations so we can each experience our identity and our purpose. You are never too old to connect with your purpose, and you are never too young to connect with your purpose. In fact, I want to highlight a few opportunities that are coming our way uh, not to, in the not-too-distant future for our children and our students to step out of the regular rhythm of life and into some supercharged environments where they can connect with God and each other and their purpose, where they can discover fresh and new their identity in Jesus alone and what it looks like to live out that purpose. We every year host Spring Hill Camp at one of our campuses. And every year we send our teens to never the same camp. I want you to check out this video that, shares, that shows a couple of families sharing their experiences through those camp environments. So take a look at this. Well, we're really blessed in this community because we have a lot of options for fun summer activities for our kids, but I really wanted something that was going to have a lasting impact. And so Spring Hill provided the perfect opportunity for her to not only go and have fun and be active and involved with other kids, but also to really continue the message that she learns at Awana and at Go Kids and, and really begin to develop her faith. I I like the flying squirrel, the 
rock climbing and the bungee and uh I really liked the uh, Bible stories. The counselors really invest their time into our kids and getting to know our kids. And they recognize different things in our kids that maybe we don't even know exist. During camp, I did feel close to God. Um, I learned about him, and uh, that made me, like, know him better. It's really helped in Avery's faith journey. Um, last summer, she actually got baptized in the river, and it was just such a wonderful experience. And I feel like her experience at Spring Hill really added to her faith journey and helped develop that interest. Zach Sandry, the youth pastor at the Bent North Campus, was like, hey, there's camp, it's NTS. And I was like, well, what's that? And so he explained it to me. And so I was like, yeah, I'll go, that sounds like fun. So I realized a few of my friends were going and I was like, okay, yeah. So I signed up and I went and it was a blast. So at NTS camp, we have something called uh, Team Comps, which where you are assigned a color for the week and you team up with another church and play games with one another and kind of just bond in that moment. And that's really a good experience. The memories that you make with your friends are long lasting. I know a girl last year and she actually came to Christ and at the beginning of the week, she had no idea the concept of God or Christ. And by Wednesday or Thursday night, she fully accepted and I thought that was amazing. As of Sunday when we first got there, she didn't know and on Thursday, she was a full believer and that was really cool to see. Thanks for being a church that allows us to be part of things like that. So these are two opportunities that are coming up. I want to invite you to participate in this in a few ways. One is if you know a child or a student who should be at camp this summer, invite them. Make sure they know about it. Information is on our website. There's information in our lobby spaces as well. But we also want to make sure that any child or teen who wants to attend is able to do so regardless of financial circumstance. But that means we need your help to provide scholarship opportunities for those to attend. So if you want to help provide a way for another student or child to go to camp, you can head to our website, heritageqc.com, click on the online giving tab, and when you get there, there's an opportunity for you to give directly to camp scholarships. We'd love for you to be a part of that. But there's also something all of us can do, and it's to pray. Imagine what it would look like if across our network, men in Kiwani, at our Bentendorf campus, those of you online, everyone here in Rock Island, if you were praying consistently for the children and students who are going to be in our camp environments this summer, and you asked the spirit of the living God to move with power and authority in a unique way, what would happen? I think he wants to answer that prayer, and I'm inviting you, please, join us even now in praying for those to be phenomenal environments where those kids and students connect with God and with each other and with their purpose in a unique way. There's one more opportunity I want to highlight, and it's the senior high mission trip to Chicago that's coming up this summer. It's a great opportunity for senior high students in a unique environment in Chicago ministry land to experience God at work in and through them and in and through the group of students that they're with. Students, senior hires, if you have been to NTS but you've not yet experienced a mission trip like this one and you got to choose which one you go to, I implore you, choose this one. Let this be the thing that you invest in this summer. It will be a game changer 
for you. And who knows, you might just rub up against the purpose that God has implanted in you all along. That's something else that you can be praying for. Again, thanks for being a church that allows us to invest in those things. Now, I want to get back quickly to that story about the fire at uh, the place where I, I was growing up in southeastern Arizona. As we were there fighting for everything, eventually the fire department re-arrived with reinforcements and fresh equipment. And I remember we were there as family, we were there as homeowners and landowners and livestock owners trying desperately to save everything that we had. But the firefighters, the men and women who arrived, no, no, in that moment, they weren't family, they weren't homeowners or landowners or livestock owners. Their identity was first and foremost in that moment. They were firefighters. And they went to work. They systematically started to extinguish flames and remove fuel. And I know that it was by God's grace and their activity that we didn't lose a single animal. We didn't lose a single building. Our neighbors' houses were spared. And eventually our land even recovered in a phenomenal way. But it was them living out their purpose, out of their identity as firefighters that brought rescue to us. Church, you and I have an opportunity to live into our identity. And out of that, to offer rescue to the world around us, desperate for a different way. So what do we do with that? What do we do with it? I think we, we kind of every week ask this so what question. What do we do with it? And I think the answer is found for us in asking this question and asking the Holy Spirit to help us find it. It's who are you unfairly looking to for wholeness. Who are you unfairly looking to for wholeness? Who do you need to release from the incredible pressure of trying to make you whole? Because when you start answering that question, you can start following the thread all the way back to your understanding of identity and purpose, and you discover where your heart is divided and where Jesus himself wants to make you whole. Who are you unfairly looking to for wholeness? Is it your kids or your parents? Is it your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your boss? Who is it that you need to release from that and rest in who Jesus is calling you to be and receive the identity that he is whispering to you even now? You see, it's idolatry, as we said before, to look for someone who's created by God to do what only God can do. There are some of us, though, who we're living into this for someone else. Where they have looked to us to be the one who completes them. And we try and we try and we try. But when you do that, you actually give in to pride. And you start putting yourself in the place of God. And that's a place none of us wants to be. None of us is big enough, powerful enough, strong enough. What would it look like to just rest? And who Jesus is and who he's calling you to be. I think it begins with asking this question and with integrity answering it. And so to that end, I'm going to pray for us, all right? Jesus, Father dear, thank you for the gift of who you are and your word. And thank you for loving us so much. God, for my brothers and my sisters in these spaces... 
who are weary and heavy burdened, who are trying and trying and trying to find wholeness. God, I pray that you would be found faithful in answering that question of who we're looking to, of where our heart is divided. Jesus, would you in your power, in your authority, as the only one worthy to lead, as the only one who can bring us into wholeness, would you touch us today? Would you show us where we are pursuing our own way, where we are living out of divided heart, where we're looking for wholeness in anything but you? And invite us into that space. We ask these things, God, knowing that you say you are a better father than even the best father on earth. And as much as we want to give good gifts to our kids, you desire to give even better things. And so we ask this with great expectation and anticipation. Not just for our sake and not simply for your glory, although it's for that, but God, trusting that you love us and that you desire more for us than we even know how to ask. So it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.